Welcome to Hardcore Penn State Football. A lot to discuss on today's show, jam-packed show as always. A ton of fan questions, so thank you all for the fan question submissions. We are going to get into some non-conference nuggets. Going to talk about the three non-conference games in 2023. We got some recruiting news, as always, as the recruiting dead period starts here um, in a couple of days, if not already. And a little bit of other recruiting news as well to discuss. So, lots to talk about on the show. Let's get right into it. I'm Corey Listoki. With me, as always, the great Sean Kane. How are you doing today, Sean? Doing well on the sump day, Corey. How are we? I'm doing okay. The allergies have gotten me bad. I mean, there's a lot of smoke in the area as well, but I don't know if it's grass allergies or what. But I, you know, if you notice on the intro, I couldn't get as high as I usually do. It's because it's uh, just not going to happen today. Just, just don't have the voice capacity to to get up there i thought you were just feeling mellow no no i'm feeling fantastic couldn't couldn't be better like don't feel sick besides just like the the throat but uh yeah you know otherwise feel great so uh but yeah that's a little bit of a bummer but i'll power through the episode because we have a lot to discuss today sean uh a bunch of fan questions we'll get to at the end of the show we're going to get into some non-conference nuggets and talk about Purdue, Delaware, and UMass. Uh, some A lot of recruiting news. The dead period technically has started, although the dead period really just means you can't visit. You can still text, still talk, et cetera. So, you know, call it whatever you want to call it. We, we've had those conversations on the show before about what a dead period really is. Um, but, Sean, I wanted to start off the, que- or, or the episode today. Uh, Live for Life was this past weekend. And, first of all, Live for Life is a fantastic event. Um, when we were in Nittanyville, I think one or two years we helped out. Um, it's really cool if you ever have a chance in the summer to go up and, and, and do it. Um, obviously, it's for rare diseases. Um, and, and it's just another opportunity to see kind of where 
the guys are progressing, you know, physically. And and we did get a little bit of feedback today. I wanted to just talk a little bit about some of the weights that we were given and just kind of how much some of these guys have really improved in the weight room since we last saw weights, which, you know, who knows? I, I think some guys fluctuate in the off season compared to when they get into like regular season form, Sean, but still we're seeing some pretty impressive weights right now. Some pretty impressive gains over the summer so far. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, I think there is definitely an emphasis to get bigger and um, I'm totally for it, especially uh, along the defensive line, you know, losing a guy like BJ Mustafer, but I mean, it's really been all over on the offensive line. I, I think the lowest weight is 314. So even in today's modern college football, that's still a big offensive line. You know, you still have some, you know, guys that are just below or just above 300 pounds playing on the offensive line still. And all of our guys are, you know, if, if you're, if the lowest weight guy is 314, 315, you know, that's a lot of girth, a lot of girth. And that's what you need in the big Ten. Since you brought up the offensive line, let's start there. Caden uh, Wallace, probably the most impressive right tackle up to 341 pounds, which, you know, I think in the pass protection, it's going to help a lot. Keep him maybe anchored a little bit more. Um, be curious to see if he keeps that kind of quick first step. But, I mean, that's just impressive as is. Sal Warmly up to 324. Hunter Norzad still around 315. Landon Tangwall is at 317. And Fashion is right around 319. So, um, combined, all of their weights together, 1,616 pounds along the offensive line. So, like you said, getting pretty girthy there. Yeah, yeah. I really don't think size was much of a problem on the offensive line necessarily last year. But, I mean, it's just it when when you have teams like Illinois, Iowa, Michigan on the schedule, not to mention Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, you need to be able to match up in the trenches in those games uh, are typically typically one up front. And, you know, no shade on uh, Paris Palmer, but you really want to kind of shy away from that playing in the conference we're in. Yeah, yeah, and I, I love if you, you know, flip to the other side of the line of scrimmage and I don't talk defense, the name that T-Phrase came up with for, for Hakeem Beeman, I think he tweeted out and called him Hakeem Beefman because uh, Hakeem, defense <laughs> tackle Hakeem Beeman is up from 256 pounds to 284 pounds. So he has really put on some muscle. Obviously, people are going to remember the Michigan game, and there's a, a slight, a, a slight, slight, if you will, uh, from James Franklin to Hakeem Beeman talking about playing at a lighter weight. Well, Beeman's added some pounds, and so that's good to see. But it's not just him. It's uh, Jordan Vandenberg up to 301 from 286, so he's in the 300 club now. Um, Chop Robinson's up to 250. Adisa Isaac's up to 250, which Adisa Isaac does. I mean, even now, I feel like he won't. Looks like he's 250. Uh, Smith Vilbert up to 275 at the defensive end position. I mean, that's just, I mean, he's a lanky guy, but that's still very impressive. And then I wanted to mention um, Mapoye because he, he's a young guy coming in. He's already up to 253 pounds. And, uh, and Mapoye just seems like a guy from a raw perspective has all the tools to be great. It might take them a year or two to maybe, you know, mold that clay into whatever they want them to be. 
But, I mean, from a physicality standpoint, he's already got the, all the tools. Yeah, and that was kind of the wrap on Poirier coming in was, um, you know, having the tools, being athletically gifted, but it's just about putting it together. And uh, we'll probably be able to tell by about year 2025, maybe maybe next year, uh, whether or not that's going to happen. Uh, but, you know, something that really sticks out to me is, is Hakeem Beeman. Uh, that, that, that's, that's a lot of weight to gain in, in a year. And I've been, you know, I've wanted to see him gain some more weight. And I think Frank, I, th- I think James Franklin has wanted to see him gain some more weight. And the, the Beam and Franklin relationship, I have a feeling you might be able to write a, a short, a short novel about it because, you know, he was uh, suspended for 2021 and then, you know, Franklin kind of makes a veiled remark about, about him after the Michigan game. And then this past week, I don't know if you saw this or not, Corey, Beeman won a uh, student athlete of the, of the week or the month. Um, and James Franklin actually tweeted it out that, you know, he's, I'm paraphrasing a little bit that he couldn't be more proud to retweet this. So I just find the relationship uh, interesting between them. You know, I did not see that, John. So I'm glad you brought that up. I did not know that he he said he couldn't be more proud to tweet that. That yeah. kind of gives you a little bit of an inside perspective to maybe what was going on there. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Because I remember when he was when Franklin first said that he was suspended, uh, he said it has nothing to do with Hakeem on the field. On the field, he really ex- and he kept kind of emphasizing on the field. So it just told you that it was something off the field related. That's why he was suspended. So, but it looks like, you know, they're getting along yeah. swimmingly now. Yeah, and I want to mention Caleb Artest is another defensive tackle to keep an eye on. Hasn't really got to play very much, but he's well over 300 pounds as well. So you've got a couple guys now to potentially anchor. I mean, it just looks in general like they're more prepared to play against the run than a year ago, which... I mean, they were really good against the run last year, so that uh, even with inexperienced linebackers. So, I mean, it's hard to not get excited when you're you're thinking about the defense, the front seven, because they were really good at getting to the quarterback last year. You thought maybe they could get a little bit better in the in the run game uh, against really good teams like Michigan, et cetera, like Ohio State, et cetera. Um, but but they clearly they clearly have, have, have beefed up a little bit. And I think just you think about it, Sean, go back two years ago uh, and and 2021 and what that team was and how they kind of got pushed around a little bit. I just think about the Illinois game this year going to Illinois, all of a sudden feel a little bit better going up against uh, that running attack. And you know what? That's going to be a ground and pound attack. You you feel a little bit better seeing these weights. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, when your two crossover games are Illinois and Iowa, I mean, you kind of, you know, that's not, that, that's uh, not for the pain of heart, especially when you already have to play Michigan, who might have the best offensive line in the country, and you have to play Ohio State. So, 
you know, you better be able to match up with those teams or, you know, you're going to, you're going to lose at least two of those games. Um, and I think the, I mean, Corey, the number one question we get uh, in some, you know, some way, shape or form, they ask the same, it's, it's a version of the same question. And that's, could we win more than 10 games? And a lot of that's going to be decided up front. Uh, and, you know, getting getting the guys' weights to where they need to be, that's the first step, getting it done in the weight room. And, you know, there's an expression that the championships are really won in the preseason and off-season workouts and everything. And there, there's some truth to that. So getting your guys to where they need to be uh, in the weight room, uh, that's that's the first step. And, I mean, assuming this is all good weight, looks like we're on our way there. Yeah, and people ask us about Dennis Sutton. Uh, he actually lost a couple pounds. I think that was maybe more of a, uh, a, re, a I don't know, refining his weight and, and making that good weight instead of bad weight, like you mentioned. So, um, Katron Allen, Nick Singleton really didn't move very much. Keandre Lambert-Smith has gained a, a decent amount of weight. If you go back a couple of years, he's gained some significant weight um, from, like, say, a couple of years ago. Um, didn't re- oh, and the only other person wide receivers wise I really want to mention was Caden Saunders, uh, gained gained some good weight as well. Otherwise, not too much notable there. The only other thing I wanted to mention, Sean, both Tyler uh, tight end Tyler Warren and tight end Theo Johnson are right around 260. Which, if they can still move the way they want to move, I mean that I mean they're going to be serious weapons. So, um, really just insane to think about. Theo Johnson running downhill full speed at 264. So just wanted to mention those guys as well. Yeah, I mean, not too long ago, that used to be the size of some offensive linemen. So it just kind of tells you about where evolution has brought us, uh, both, you know, human evolution and football evolution. And yeah, we all know what Theo could do in the passing game. And uh, same thing with Warren. But there's no question that they just did that they were not near the same level as Brenton Strange last season when it came to blocking, and we're going to need them to be. Uh, you know, late in games, third and one, third and two, if we're going to line up in the Troutwine or the T, you know, T Troutwine formation, a lot of that's predicated on having tight ends that are going to go downhill and block. So, you're going to need somebody to step up and be that, be that, be that Brent and strange for this offense when it comes to run blocking. Yeah. And I really wish the media, and I guess now we should ask Joe Smeltzer that question about that fullback position slash H back position on who is going to fill that role. Cause we've got that question a bunch because in a way, obviously, Tyler Warren seems like the obvious candidate. But Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson are already got pretty comfortable as far as blocking on the edge. And I just wonder if you don't want to mess up what, what's already working. And in my opinion, I think it actually might be harder to seal a defensive end than it is for that H-back sometimes who just has to block out a safety or a corner. Um, so I, I think uh, I, I'd be interested to see whether or not or, or how they go with that. Um, moving forward, like who is going to get that position? And, and and I think they have a lot of options there. So that, that's something we've talked about before. I'm just, just curious to see where they'll go. Yeah, yeah. And 
um, if they if they use other tight ends, which I think they will, I think you're going to see some combination of Khalil Dinkins, maybe an Andrew Rapley, maybe a Jerry Cross. You know, that competition for the third tight end, I think, is going to be pretty fierce. And one of those guys is setting up to be, you know, maybe compete with Tyler Warren next year to be the number one tight end. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be one of Rapley across, uh, and then you'll have Schlaffer come in or um, or Dinkins. So overall, I think you got to feel very good about what Ty Howell's done with this tight ends room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I wanted to get to a question that I saw uh, that was kind of brought up by Arizona coach Jed Fish. And his pitch to recruits has been, as far as name, image, and likeness, is, hey, you don't want to go to a big town. You don't want to go to a, a town like a, that has an NFL market because it's actually going to hurt you. You're Instead of being the talk of the town, the NFL squads are going to be the main conversation. So to him, he's like, hey, come to Arizona. Instead of someone, an NFL player being on a billboard, it's going to be you. And that made me think, Sean, would and do you think it is a better situation if you were searching for NIL to be in a town like State College versus, say, a pro town? Now, I know there's a lot in between State College and a pro town, but just to make that comparison, do you think it, it is better from a name, image, and likeness standpoint? Uh, depends on the pro town because there is some truth in that if you're in LA, for example, if you're playing for USC, you're playing for UCLA. Yeah, you're gonna be second fiddle to the Dodgers. You're gonna be second fiddle to the Lakers, um, the Rams. Probably not the Chargers, but those other teams. Yeah, you are. But there's so much money out there, and there's so much interest in. USC, UCLA, especially USC football, when they're good, they have so many wealthy fans that I don't think it really matters as much because they just have more um, more places to get those big checks from. They have more people to get those big checks from. Now, if you're in a smaller sports town like uh, uh, Buffalo, yeah, me or nah. Yeah, let, let like yeah. If you're in a smaller sports town where there isn't as many, uh, where there aren't as many, um, you know, big fish there. Yeah, maybe maybe then you can you could make somewhat of an argument, but I think with Penn State's going up against a, a place like Miami or a place like USC. In recruiting, when it comes to NIL, yeah, we're probably always going to be running a little behind. Yeah, it's hard to argue with like a town like Columbus and as far as what that can offer being a big town, but still not having an NFL team there. Uh, obviously, there's there's other teams there, but not having an NFL squad there. But I thought it was an interesting question. I'm curious if that I don't really know how well Arizona is recruiting. Uh, but I don't know if that's working or not. But it's yeah, it could be concept. some could be some wishful thinking on his part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's get into recruiting. Speaking of which, again, it is the dead period. No more visits. Visits had to be wrapped up on Monday, so everyone has had their final say. 
And there was a bunch of commitments set to start really on July 1st and go all the way to like July 8th. So, so Penn State's recruiting class is going to pretty much be made or broken in the next week and a half, two weeks or so. I mean, there will be changes. Uh, Ryan Snyder from On3 said, uh, basically, even though someone commits, it's not over. And so there's going to be probably one or two guys that commit somewhere else that Penn State's going to still go after. And uh, we'll just have to wait and see. He doesn't really know who those people are, but let's wait and see. So not the end of the world, but I always remind people now of Kavion Keys, and he committed North Carolina, and there's a long fight through August, et cetera, July, and then commitment in August uh, to wrap that one up. So who knows? But a lot is going to be kind of finished, at least momentarily, here in the next two weeks or so. Uh, I do want to start with the two newest commits who, if you listen to our show on Thursday, you would know because we pretty much told you they were going to happen. And that's two wide receivers, uh, three-star Peter Gonzalez from, uh, is that Central Catholic? Yep. Sean? Yep. My Catholic school's backwards. Yeah, you got it. Thank you. And, and then four-star four star Josiah Brown from New York. He's the number one player in the state of New York. So two wide receivers, Josiah Brown. Played a lot of safety in high school, has to refine a little bit. Peter Gonzalez will be a weapon on the outside. Um, Penn State's very, very happy to have both of these guys. Sean, you want to do a quick synopsis? Again, we, we dove deep into these guys last episode, so I don't think we need to completely re-earth the conversation. Yeah, uh, Gonzalez, I'll start with him. He's an outstanding prospect in my opinion uh better than a three-star now and and i know people look at their rankings and will be like shot how can you see he's an outstanding prospect because he's a really good football player i mean the pro the thing with him is and the reason his rate his rating is that low as i said on last week's pod is because he's coming off an acl injury i think if he has a good senior year uh that's that's gonna go he's gonna go way up in the rate in the rankings um he camped at penn state recently and he really impressed the staff. And from then on, um, you know, Penn State, is, Penn State felt good about where they were. He took his official visit. And then um, I think a week later, he committed to Penn State. So um, I, think, I think that's an awesome pickup for us. Also a Pitt legacy guy. So that's a nice feather in the cap. Uh, Josiah Brown. Uh, he's a four-star athlete. Uh, Penn State's recruiting him to be a wide receiver. Uh, again, really good high school football player, number one player out of the state of New York. Uh, looked for a while like he might be going to Rutgers, but Corey, Penn State Rutgers recruiting battles. Not a lot of them go Rutgers' way. The only one I can remember in recent years is Moses Walker, I believe that the guy's name is, who's actually a pretty good football player for them. Uh, but if it's Penn State versus Rutgers and Penn State really wants the guy, he usually ends up at Penn State. So really happy with both these guys. Uh, Tizier, Denmark, Peter Gonzalez, and Josiah Brown all committed within, I believe, 48 hours of each other. So that's a way to that's a way to start off uh, – Wide receiver recruiting for Marquise Higgins, I would say. Not too shabby. Not, not too shabby at all. Um, however, things are not looking great, Sean, in the recruiting uh, trail at the moment. Uh, 
I think last year we had an episode called like recruiting roller coaster because it really is. I mean, it's up and it's down, it's up and it's down, the ebbs and the flows. It's it, it, it's amazing how it happens every year. Once you think you you figure it out, you're wrong. And um no different, no different this week. Uh like we said, it was the last weekend for people to visit and some big, big targets still left on Penn State's board visited other places. And that actually could end up changing things quite a bit. The defensive lineman Benedict Ume went out to Stanford, had a fantastic time out there in California. And there are trends towards Stanford at the moment. Not saying it's over, but Stanford got the last laugh, so to speak. So we'll have to see kind of what happens there. But that would be kind of a killer. We talked about it last to be a top 10 class. Maybe it could have been. But like we said three months ago when I first brought up Ume, you have to get a guy like that who maybe could become a five-star guy, but is a high four-star guy. You have to get guys like that. And right now it doesn't seem like um, that's going to happen. No, I, I, it doesn't look that way. And it, it's disappointing, you know. Uh, it's He's one of those guys that if we wanted to be, uh, you know, if we wanted the recruiting class to be where it was, we really needed, we really needed them. And, it just sucks. It's disappointing, but I mean, you can't you can't lose sleep over guys that uh, aren't going to come here or don't come here. You just have to kind of, you know, brush yourself off and keep moving. And and look, maybe Franklin in the last couple of weeks, maybe he changes his mind. Uh, but and we don't we don't even know if his mind is set. But I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you guys, things don't look good right now. Uh, we did know that academics mean a lot to Benedict Dume, and Stanford is one of the best colleges in the world. I mean, it just is, and I know we all love Penn State. Penn State's a great university, but Stanford's like Stanford is basically an Ivy League school. So I think that means a lot to Benedict Dume, and if he chooses to go there, then we wish him luck. But of course, we really hope that he that he that he ends up in Penn State's class at the end of the day. Who knows? Yeah, and this one hits a little bit harder, in my opinion, because it stays in conference. And that's wide receiver Nick Marsh. Just went out to Michigan State. It was kind of between Michigan State and Penn State at this point. Pitt, I think, is still somewhat involved as well. But as of right now, Nick Marsh, wide receiver, who for a while there, before Tassier Denmark flipped from Oregon, was the number one priority in the wide receiver room and, and still very much is as far as who's left on their wide receiver board. Um, as of right now, trending Michigan State's way, um, that would that one would sting a little bit, Sean. This is a guy who I feel like we were, you know, we thought Penn State had that locked in for a little bit there, and now maybe not so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a Michigan State commit originally. So, and then he ended up decommitting and uh, looked around. But I mean, it, it, when you commit to a college, when you commit to a school, of course, you're going to think pretty highly of them. Um, and we've had it happen at Penn State where guys decommitted and ended up recommitting. Doesn't happen often, but I mean, that means that they were at least at some point fond, fond of them. And Mel Tucker's still at Michigan State, so that relationship is still there. And I mean, it looks like he's trending toward Michigan State's direction now. Um, 
And again, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, James Franklin is an excellent recruiter. We all know this. And maybe he could get him into the fold. But it's, yeah, it's, it looks like he had a great visit at Michigan State. And if I were a betting man, I'd probably say he ends up at Michigan State. But who knows? Who knows? It just sucks. Um, he's also from out there. I got some so bad juju as far as Nick. Yeah, I got. I just got some bad juju that like, like Nick Marsh could you know come back and have a big game against Penn State. Like that's just something that I feel like could be coming down the pipeline at some point. I hate to throw that out there in the universe, but well, I get out of my a, head, so I'm just gonna say it. Because there's always that one Michigan State receiver that turns into Randy Moss when he plays yes. Penn State. Yep. <laughs> yes. Exactly. What's that guy's exactly name that. from 17 and, and 18. Fi- had the dreads. Yeah, what his name was. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I think he I haunts me in my nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's the one guy Amani couldn't cover. Um, <laughs> no, and he and he had dropped the pick. Ah, uh, it was awful. Yeah. He was so good that year too, except There's, that one day. <laughs> I'm trying to think. There was a, uh, and, and finally, there's one more guy that we kind of have. Slightly bad was it wasn't Jalen Naylor was it? Uh yeah I, th- I think it Naylor, was I Naylor think, was I good think. but well who was the guy that had to catch over Dixon where Johnny Dixon played the played the ball pretty much perfectly and the guy just ripped it out of his <laughs> ripped it out of the ripped it out of that air I forget who I think it was Naylor I couldn't tell you I, yeah. I, I just feel like you don't even need to know their names. They just show up and then they, yeah, I don't know. Um, there was one more g- recruit that we have to mention, and that is the defensive tackle, um, Polly Polly, David Polly Polly, which I was saying Pele Pele for too long, so I apologize for that. Um, Polly Polly has been an interesting one because for a while he was trending Michigan, then he was trending Penn State, then he went out to South uh, Southern California last weekend, and now he's trending for. USC. So it's it's just been all over the place here. Um, I, I think this is one of those ones where if you think you know where he's going, you don't. And we'll just kind of have to wait and see. He did come out and say he's he's going to make his commitment on July 1st. So that's just a couple of days from now. But um, Sean, I'm going to hold out belief. I feel like I've been I've been the positive one in all this, and I'm going to keep it. I'm going to be the one that that says that. Uh, he decides to come to, to Penn State again. He's technically from Alaska, playing high school football in Pennsylvania right now. Um, I did say I thought USC would maybe come back in a little bit, but we'll have to wait and see. And uh, yeah, yeah, we'll have to, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. But I'm hoping, hoping and praying, Sean. I really, I really want this one. Well, Corey, I'll let you dream. <laughs> but it does look like he had a great time. Uh, out in Southern California, and the crystal balls are all in USC's favor right now. But eh, you never know. I mean, if you think about it from his perspective, he's from Alaska originally. Uh, he's living out here now, but I mean, maybe that plays a role. Uh, being out on the West Coast, maybe he'd want to be out there. Uh, but, you know, he's a guy that I really wanted to because I think he's kind of an under the radar guy. That's going to end up being a good, uh, you know, 
good player at the next level. And again, he's another guy. You have to think USC right now uh, for for this class. Like he's going to be an in conference guy. He's going to be coming to Happy Valley next year. So it got it, it's kind of weird to think about that we're competing with an in conference in conference foe in in USC. Point, John. That's a good point. That kind of makes it sting a little bit more. Um, final final guy I had, Sean Jalen Harvey has pushed his announcement back a little bit. Uh, I think Florida's involved. I think Maryland's involved. I don't really know where this one's at, Sean. I don't know if you have some more information on it, but pushing the commitment back, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where he's going at this point. I'm not sure if he knows where he's going yet at this point. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, I, I do know this, though, from you know paying attention to recruiting for a long time. You don't when you're leading for a guy, you don't really want to see him push the commitment back. And if things are trending your way, you just kind of want him to visit the day he was supposed to visit. And you know, he visited at June 2nd. And this 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 is another issue with with how the official visits shook out. We barely had anybody on campus last week on June 23rd. And I really think making a last impression means something. Like Jalen Harvey, he hasn't been on campus since June 2nd. And in that time, in the time since, he visited Florida, who's taken our lunch money on the recruiting trail so far this year, USC, and Maryland last week. So it just, it, it really... Uh, I I think it's disadvantageous to to be the first team that they see unless they commit to you right after. Um, but that's just kind of been the luck of the draw. I'm not even sure if there's much Penn State could do with that, to, could do to prevent that. Or um, I think it's you know these kids trying to arrange arrange visits with schools, and we kind of got the short end of the stick. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of when I I wasn't worried about Jalen Harvey, but when I saw him push back his commitment, I got a little worried. Sean, you you hit it on the head, and that's I mean that's been a thing. I remember going back and playing like the video games. Like you always wanted to get your commit or your visits as late as possible. You wanted to be the last one. Now it's a little bit of a risk because what if somebody you know instantly commits once they visit somewhere? Right. But you right. gotta have to kind of you you want to play that game, right? You want to get you can stretch them out, hold them off from not committing until they visit. Then you get the last word. Absolutely, uh, you get the last the last chance there to to say something. So, um, yeah, I don't think they necessarily did it as best as they usually do as far as. But I mean, it doesn't you know it doesn't always work out perfectly like that. So it is what it is. Um, they'll still they'll still get some guys in August. They'll get some guys in the fall, obviously. But you know those visits aren't as personal because the staff is now in football mode, in in regular season mode. So um, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see, and uh, and how it all kind of trans transpires. But. but um, yeah, like you said, you don't feel great when you felt like you were in the lead for a while there. Now, now it hasn't been finished. Um, do you have anyone else that you'd like to discuss before we move on to the non-conference nuggets? Yeah, uh, DeAndre Cook 
is going to be announcing uh, this this weekend. I believe he's announcing on June 30th, so that's this coming Friday. Uh, I do expect him to commit to Penn State. Uh, he's from D.C. Uh, he's, he's a three-star offensive, off, uh, defensive lineman, so look out for that this weekend. Yeah, that, that's a good one. That will make the poly poly pain a little bit less, I suppose. Um, but you're going to try to get as many good defensive tackles as you can, right? You're never going to say no to really good defensive tackles. So take as many of them as you possibly can. Right, right. Yeah, especially this year, uh, there is an emphasis on getting some defense, getting defensive tackles in there. So, um, yeah, I think that'll be the second you, commitment for Dion Barnes. You theoretically could lose Izzard, Ellie's, and Beeman all interior guys next year. So right. you're going to have some holes to fill next year. Um, probably have to go back to the portal if you can. I know that's like way over thinking things right now, but just just trying to like think about where you're going to be position-wise, need-wise. Seems like defense tackle is going to be one. That Deion Barnes is going to have to be hitting hard for not just this year, but for the next couple of classes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And think about it this way, guys. Uh, next year, when these get when these recruits enroll, a uh, guy like Zane Durant's going to be a junior. Hell, maybe he balls out these next two years and he leaves early. Like these are the kind of number of games that somebody that Deion Barnes and James Franklin have to play. And, um. Yeah, and you don't want to just be relying on taking guys out of the portal. Uh, you want to be able to develop guys in your own system. So, I they still uh, if, and if, assuming Cook commits to us this weekend, that's that's only our first defensive tackle in this class. So there, there's there are going to be more. And if you're Penn, if you're Penn State, I think you really have to put all your chips in for Liam Andrews. In my mind, he's the most important recruit left. And I think bringing him in, I mean, especially with, with losing Benedict Dume, you're not really in it for a guy like Ernest Willer right now. Andrews has to be, in my mind, the most important guy left. That's a good point, John. That's a good point. We'll have to we'll have to wait and see there. Also, I, did I realize? <clears throat> did I say Purdue when I was talking about the non-conference Nuggets earlier? Because I wrote Purdue. I don't know if I said Purdue. Did I say West you Virginia? Might have, it, I don't remember. Dude, I think I might have said Purdue, which is funny because I wrote Purdue for some reason. But no, we are not talking about Purdue today. Uh, for yeah. those of you that were worried, um, West awful. West Virginia, Delaware. UMass are the three teams we're going to talk about today. I called it non-conference nuggets. I spend as much time, a little time as we want talking about them. Uh, I think we're spending probably the most time about West Virginia. They're the first opponent. They're the best opponent of the three. Um, and there's a lot of cool stuff to discuss. I, I tweeted it a couple of days ago, but some really interesting nuggets uh, that I wanted to mention on the show. First of all, uh, Defensive tackle for Torma Molba and former linebacker Lance Dixon are both on West Virginia's team. So there's two former Penn State players on West Virginia's team. 
Then, obviously, the recruiting battle last year was wide receiver Rodney Gallagher, Gallagher from Pennsylvania, uh, but not not too far away from uh, Morgantown either. Uh, he'll be a true freshman on the West Virginia team. More interestingly to me, though, was do you remember old NC State wide receiver Devin Carter who committed? Was it the night or, or it was like the day of or the day after the Rose Bowl, wasn't it, where he, he committed to Penn State? It was like pretty soon. In the name again, Devin Carter, the big wide receiver from from NC State. Oh yeah, he never showed right. up on I, Penn State's yeah, campus. Actually, yeah, I actually forgot his name. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do remember now. Yeah, <clears throat> um, he eventually committed to West Virginia, so he's with West Virginia now, and then now Penn State wide receiver Dante Cephas, who. Tra- transferred from Kent State. It, we've said this on the show before. Kent State was absolutely murdered in the transfer portal. Like, pretty much everybody left. I'm not kidding you. Like, you should go look how many transfers there were from Kent State. But there are two Kent State players on West Virginia's team. Wide receiver, Deshaun Polk, and then cornerback, Montre Miller, who had six interceptions and 16 pass breakups in two seasons at Kent State. So Montre Miller, really a name you really do need to know from West Virginia. Very well could be their best corner and very well could be going up against Dante Cephas, which I just think is pretty crazy, Sean. So there's there's some really good tidbits in for this matchup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I look at West Virginia, I mean, you know, their coach, you know, coming into this year, Neil Brown, uh, it's his fifth year just hasn't really been very successfully as an under 500 record in, in the big 12. Uh, I, I don't know why West Virginia's in the big 12, but they're in the big 12. Uh, five and seven last season. The, and it just, I expected him, Corey, I expected him to be canned after last year, but they ended up bringing him back. And supposedly they're going to be really focusing on the run game. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, their offensive line, all five starters are returning. Um, and it's a pretty impressive group. Uh, Doug Nestor, for those of you who follow Penn State recruiting, been doing it a few years. He was on Penn State's radar a few years back. Uh, so he's somebody that staff is uh, very familiar with. Uh, C.J. Donaldson, Um he uh, he impressed last year uh, before he got before he uh, suffered an injury. So yeah, I mean, I think them. I think the way a team like West Virginia is going to try to compete with Penn State is through the run game, focusing on that strength and trying to just eat up clock and eat up eat up time of possession, and hopefully by the end of the game. Uh, hopefully for their oh, their thinking is, you know, be able to hang around and not turn the ball over and, you know, have, have it be a one-score game by the end of the day and try to steal it. So I think that's what you have to look out for when, we, when we're playing against a team like this. They're going to try to muddy the waters. Again. Yeah, Sean, you said some really good stuff there. The, uh, the offensive line Thanks, does impress me. Um, I, I think there a lot of people are looking at this and, and think it's going to be a blowout. And obviously, we're not here to make predictions. 
I, I do want to say their offensive line is good. Their offensive line is actually going to be pretty good. And so having a good offensive line keeps you in games if you can run the football. And remember, the new rules in college football, that clock is going to keep going even after first downs. So there's going to be more clock bleeding off. And they're going to just try to keep, you know, play keep away against most of their opponents this year. Uh, last year, West Virginia was 5-0, and all five of their wins when they ran for 200 yards, and they were 0 for 7 when they ran for less than 200 yards. And in Neil Brown's career at West Virginia, they are 4-21 and when West Virginia rushes for less than 100 yards. So, I mean, they're going to stick to the running game. Uh, they lost offense coordinator Graham Harrell to Purdue. Chad Scott, with their uh, running backs coach, was promoted to offense coordinator. Running back, running backs coach being the offense coordinator, they're going to try to run the ball. Um, no doubt about it. You mentioned Donaldson. That dude had 400-yard games before his, his leg injury. So, like, they, they've got to have the ability to run the ball. I don't know if they're going to have the ability to run the ball against Penn State specifically, but I do think they're going to surprise people with the ability to run the ball. Um, Sean, I, I am curious – the quarterback position. I feel like we've we've talked about them for three or four minutes now, um, and we haven't brought up quarterback yet. And that's kind of a red flag, in my opinion. We haven't we haven't talked about the guy who's going to have the ball in his hands every single play on offense. Um, you a little bit worried there? Well, as a Penn State fan, I'm not, but I think they should be. Um, they got uh, Garrett Green coming in. Uh, he was the backup last year. And when he came in, just wasn't very good. Just hit a little above 50% of his throws. Um, you know, they're going to, he's going to probably be part, if he is the starter, he's probably going to be part of that run game. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, I'm not really going to be sitting here or, you know, when I go to bed tonight, uh, the thought of Garrett Green or Nico Martial. They're not really, you know, keeping me awake at night. Uh, that run game might, but not the quarterbacks. Yeah, I, I don't know what it's kind of like. Green, kind of like a poor man's. Uh, well, maybe not a poor man's, but it kind of reminds me a little bit of Auburn from last year, a little bit of their offense. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly what they're gonna do, right? I mean, Garrett Green. Couldn't even throw for 55%. Does have some wiggle. Nico uh, Nico Markeel, three-star guy, redshirt freshman, has some arm talent, but just not a lot to really show for it. And so, you know, I feel like this game could kind of end up being like the Minnesota game last year. Like Minnesota did some good things, but just, just couldn't throw the ball literally at all. And if you can't, if you can't, keep the attacking defense of Manny Diaz on their heels, they're just going to run downhill, downhill all day long, and it's just going to be ugly. And I, there is a there is a chance for that to happen in this game. I, long ways away still, but there's a chance of that happening. Uh, oh, you know, I forgot one other tidbit, Sean. Caden Prather transferred um, out to Maryland, but that was another guy that Penn State was after, was originally at West Virginia, and now he's gone. So they actually lost a weapon in Caden Prather. But I wanted to mention him too because uh, around like three, four months ago, we were we were talking a lot about Caden Prather, and so I just thought it's just another time to to bring him up. <laughs> yeah, Rodney Gallagher too. 
if, for those of you who are listening last year around this time, uh, Rodney Gallagher really kind of broke our hearts a little bit. Committing to West Virginia felt like Penn State, Penn State felt pretty good about where they were with him, but, you know, ended up, you know, West Virginia beat us out for him. Um, do you remember what I said last year, Corey, that, remember my guarantee about Rodney Gallagher? No, was it something about transferring to Penn State? I forget. <laughs> no, my guarantee was, I guarantee, and I stick by this guarantee, Rodney Gallagher's first game will be at Beaver Stadium. And sure enough, it looks like I'm going to be That's correct. right. How can I forget that? Mm-hmm. He's going to get suspended for the first game, and you're going to be wrong. Yeah, and I'm going to look like an idiot then. <laughs> Um, let's talk defense a little bit, Sean. Didn't really get very many takeaways last year. Um, I, I tweeted this too. Kalen King and Johnny Dixon combined had more interceptions than the entire West Virginia defense did last year. They only had four interceptions. I mentioned Montre Miller coming in. Um, Marcus Floyd, big, strong safety. Aubrey Burks, another solid safety for them. So they got some guys in the secondary that could do some good things. Uh, but man, they, they they struggled in pass defense last year a bunch. Like people were torching them. They're a little bit better in run defense, um, but overall, the the defense really couldn't stop a nosebleed. Yeah, the defense was pretty bad last year. Um, you know, part of if you're West Virginia, part of uh, what we how they could beat us is you have to play ball control. Well, what's a good way to play ball control besides running the ball on offense? Great turnovers. And you're playing against a first-time starter in Jeraller. Part of your strategy would be try to make him turn the ball over. If you could force Jeraller into a couple of interceptions, you have a good run game going, that's a recipe for an upset. But if you... If you're unable to create turnovers and really can't stop them, if you really can't stop Penn State, well, there goes your strategy of winning the game. So ultimately, I think that's going to be where West Virginia struggles when they get to Penn State. And even if they're able to have a decent run game, I just don't know if they have the horses to uh, be able to stop the Nick Singletons, Ketron Allens, Kadri Lambert-Smiths of the world. Yeah, and, and maybe at first, but as the game goes on, maybe not so right. much. Right, those guys are just going to wear quarter, so. Yeah. Right. Uh, I did want to mention, speaking of that, like their defensive line was good last year, but they lost a couple of big pieces. Uh, Dante Stills to the NFL and defensive tackle Jordan Jefferson uh, transferred to LSU. So two big losses there. I do have Sean Martin, who had 34 tackles, eight TFLs, and four sacks. And they do bring in Georgia Tech defensive tackle Mike Lockhart. Um, and I did want to mention linebacker Lee Kapogba, 92 tackles on, on a season last year, uh, but just not a lot of horses. And and you think maybe they will they'll get worn out a little bit. Uh, before we wrap up on West Virginia, Sean, I just want to ask you. And we posed this question on Twitter as well. The line I believe is right around 19 right now. You feel good about that line? I kind of go back and forth a little bit because it is at home and it's a night game, but it's also the first game of the year, new quarterback. You don't know how well you're going to tackle as a defense in the first game. How are you feeling about the 19-point uh, line for in, in Penn State's favor right now? I don't know. 
I really don't know how to feel because it's so hard. Like, and, and I think we talked about this going into the Purdue game last year. It's so hard to make a line when you haven't seen anybody play. I mean, TCU was predicted to win, what, four games last year and then made it to the title game. So it's just so hard to say whether or not a line is too high or not. I tend to lean on the side of caution and say it is a, it, it is a little high. Uh, this uh, West Virginia, they're, they, they were a mediocre team last year, but you never really – you never know. You never know. And they're going to be revamping their offense a little bit with the new offensive coordinator. I'm sure there are going to be some wrinkles there. Maybe they do compete with Penn State. Uh, I don't, and this isn't a shot at you, Aller, but I've never seen him start a game before. So until I see some games under his belt, I don't trust him yet. And again, not a shot at you, but I don't really trust anybody until I see them do it on the field. So with a new quarterback, um, you know, trying to revamp, trying, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an old rivalry renewed. Yeah, I tend to think 19's a little high. Yeah, I I kind of agree with you, right? I mean, you think 19 points, you, you basically are assuming that Penn State's going to get to 35. That, that would be my assumption. Because the idea that you're going to shut out your first opponent on the year, I think, is pretty wishful thinking unless you're playing, you know, some some awful school. So assuming they get at least 10 points on the board, you're expecting to to drop 35 unless you get some defensive or special teams help, which I never like to assume when when betting. I would say it's a little high at the moment. Again, the running clock, West Virginia wants to run the ball a bunch, melt the clock. Penn State comes back and also wants to run the ball. I mean, you could look at a first quarter where there's only one or two possessions each. And so, boom, first quarter's already over. It could easily just be 7-0 or something like that. Um, yeah. Now, there is a chance for a little bit of a snowballing effect to occur in the third and fourth quarter if West Virginia begins to throw the ball and and that Manny, defense, Manny Diaz defense has a little bit of a lead and they start going after this quarterback, uh, whoever it may be. Um, you can see it snowball quickly and, and perhaps get out of hand quickly. Um, but you know that James Franklin and company are going to put on a show prime time, you know, opening opening game. They're going to they're going to try to put on a show. So I, I don't expect them to hold back too much. Um, I, I think they'll try to drop 40 if they can. Yeah, that's a good point to end the running clock. Like if you're a team that loves to run the ball. I, I think the new the new clock rules really help you because it just shortens the game by that much. And you're able to play ball control. Uh, you're able to do it more effectively then. And I got to think that probably helps West Virginia. And look, if Penn State, Penn State might only win by 18 points. If I mean, that's, that could definitely could I see a 35-17 game? Yeah. And if it's 35-17 game, if you bet on West Virginia with the points, you got, I mean, you win. And I think Penn State fans, at least I will be, I'll walk out of there saying, yeah, I'm fine with I'm fine with that. I'm fine with winning by uh three scores. Um, but you still lose the bet. So I if I were a betting man, I'd probably stay away from this one. 
Yeah, yeah. Maybe that line moves a little bit more, but right now, yeah, I'm not a fan of it. Uh, let's go to Delaware. The following week, already set for a noon kick. Delaware last year lost in a second round in the FCS playoffs to South Dakota State, but they got blown out 42-6. to Second year head coach Ryan Cardi was a former offensive coordinator at Sam Houston State, and Sam Houston State had a fantastic offense if you're not familiar with the FCS Sam Houston State. Um, Sean, don't want to spend a bunch of time on these guys. Look, Penn State should honestly kill Delaware. I mean, Delaware, same level as I would put as, honestly, maybe a smidgen above Villanova, but but not by that much. And so you're not talking about North Dakota State here. Um, this team is this team is not great. And defensively, they have got a lot of holes to fill. They've, they've got a bunch of holes to fill there. Um, offensively, they do bring back four of their five starters. Uh, they do have a really good wide receiver, Jordan Townsend. But they lose their quarterback. Um, and they just don't have a bunch of other weapons around them. So I think offensively, they could struggle. But defensively, Sean, I mean – just they lose their top five tacklers from last year. They've got a couple safeties. They brought in um, some help at the linebacker position. They just they just don't have a bunch. I did want to mention, John, they brought in a kicker punter, Nate Reed from East Stroudsburg University. So shout out James Franklin there. They can talk about that after the game. Maybe it would be funny if James Franklin iced Nate Reed, the kicker, both from East Stroudsburg. It'd be an East Stroudsburg icing. That'd be pretty good. Um, but otherwise, the only other thing I wanted to mention was cornerback Tyron Herring, a Dartmouth transfer. He had 49 tackles last year, had a couple of turnovers. And then defensive lineman Chase McGowan, three-time all-conference, five sacks, nine half times for loss. He's a pretty good player as well. But A, they don't have enough horses, and B, they, they don't have the, the stable behind them at all really to compete. I mean – I'm going to not be this bleak during the season, but this is a game that if, if if Delaware won, it would be one of the biggest upsets of all time. Like sometimes you can maybe say, hey, they're going to struggle a little bit. Um, I, I just don't see any possible way that this is a struggle for Penn State. It just it just doesn't look good. Yeah, yeah, I think we largely agree. Um, like uh, in 2021 – when Villanova came in, I, I think that Villanova team finished top 10 or 15 in, uh, in FCS. So that was a really good team for their level. Uh, this team is eight and f- was eight and five last season. And like you said, they lose five of their top tacklers on defense and they're breaking in a new quarterback. They're going to Beaver stadium that I I've seen teams on their level get a little intimidated by Beaver stadium um, like I remember Idaho, who was technically an FBS team. Uh, I, th- I think it was Mark Brennan. He was saying that they were taking pictures of the stadium as they were walking in. Like they were they were that in awe of playing at a place like Beaver Stadium that that was that was what they did. And if you're a team, certainly in the Big Ten, or if you're a team expecting to win, you're not really going to be doing that. And I think it's going to be a lot like that for Delaware. Uh, they might be a solid team on their level, but they're not going to beat a team that might that's going to be make that has the potential to make a playoff run this year. It's just not going to happen. So, um, like you said, they do have some decent players. Uh, 
McGowan stands out to me. Uh, Nick Ware and Jordan Townsend, uh, they're all good players, but I just don't think they have enough to uh, even hang in the game with Penn State. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Um, there is a, a certain level of this game being a barometer for Penn State. 2021, you brought it up. Penn State ran for like 2.6 yards per carry against Villanova. Don't care if you stack the box or not. You got to run for better than 2.6 yards per carry and, uh, against Villanova. So there is a, still a certain level of got to beat them, got to beat them badly because that's what you're expected to do. Um, and you got to meet those expectations. Now, you brought up Idaho. Delaware would, would kill I, Idaho as well. Idaho is very, very, probably the worst team that Penn State's played this in this millennium, honestly. Like, that was not a good football team. They were so all. bad. Yeah. Um, but that, yeah, the, the, they just were just, I mean, Penn State could have put 150 on them if they wanted to. Um, but that being said, Delaware, Again, solid program. They actually fired their coach two years ago after just one bad season, even though they went pretty far in the playoffs like the, the year prior. So they're not messing around there. Um, good program, but just, just again, not enough horses to compete. Um, again, that game will be at noon. I actually got some buddies coming up from uh, from Delaware for that game. So that'll be that'll be exciting to have them in town for that. They're they one of them went to Penn State, but they're from Delaware. Um, Joe Biden. And so that, that should be a good time. Joe Biden. You know, when I think of Delaware, I don't think of Joe I don't think of Joe Biden. I think of um Wayne's world when they're going to like different states and they're then they get to Delaware and they don't know what to say because they're in Delaware. They're like, Delaware. And they just look at each other for a little bit. Um, but you know. although I do probably plan to go to Delaware to get the booze, um, at some point yeah. for festivities because of the, the no sales tax there. So don't knock Delaware. They got, they got some good sales prices there on the booze. Did you know it's first state in the union? There you go. I, I think I did know that. On Delaware fact. I don't know for sure if I knew that. It says it on their license plate. I Thank think. you for That's that. I know. Is, Oh, I thought that was something you learned as in your political science major. Uh, I think I, I think they did touch on it in, in poly. I might even learn that in high school history. But the first time I saw it was, it, I think it says the first state on their, on their license plate. So beaches are nice too. Yeah, yeah, great, great, great beaches there. Let's go to the final non-conference nugget in UMass. A little bit different this year. Penn State's playing them on October 14th, which just to give you an idea, in 2017, on October like 21st, um, Penn State was like playing Michigan. So it's kind of weird to have a non-conference game this late in the year, um, but it, it's kind of a little bit of like an SEC scheduling. Penn State has a bye, then they have UMass. And then they have Ohio State. So really, in a way, Penn State's got two weeks to prepare for Ohio State, which we have talked about it so many times, Sean. The bye week, Penn State's not good off of the bye week. Well, Penn State should be able to improve their record against the bye after the bye with playing UMass. I don't know if that was scheduled on purpose just to make sure that they can get a win against the bye. 
Um, but they'll be able to do that and also prepare for Ohio State. I mean, it, it basically gives them two weeks to get healthy for Ohio State. You couldn't make the schedule any bit better before they have to go to Columbus. Um, I, Sean, I know you love that fact that they have UMass after the bye, but they have two weeks as well to prepare for Ohio State. I do. I do. So, Corey, we've both been pretty uh, pretty not so tolerant toward the Fire Franklin faction of the fan base. If Penn State loses to UMass after the bye week, even if we win every, even if we win ten or eleven games, I might join the Fire Franklin bandwagon. I might do it if they can't, if he can't handle this bye week. Will you join me, Corey? Uh, if he wins eleven games and our only loss is to UMass, I think I'll be okay. To be honest with you. Enough. I would enough. find a way to schedule. I would find a way to schedule 13 games moving forward, <laughs> and just not have that game count. But I would not have a bye ever again. I can promise you that. Um, just, just wouldn't happen. But no, I mean that would be awful, right? I mean we can start talking yeah. about it. First off, the 3:30 yeah. kick. I believe it's homecoming. It's a generations of greatness game. Um, Don Brown is the head coach. That Don Brown was a defensive coordinator in 1998 when UMass won the FCS. National Championship. He was there a little bit later as the head coach from like 2004 to whatever. And now he is back again as the head coach at UMass. They won one game last year against Stony Brook and they lost the other 11 games. Um, that being said, a little fun fact, they were outscored 120 to 19 in the third quarter alone. So not known for their third quarter, not, not known for a second half team, I guess is the easiest way to put it. Um, Don Brown, if you're not if you're not familiar, like I know the name sounds familiar. He's the defensive corner. He was at Michigan for a while. I think he was at Maryland for a little bit too. Um, but obviously was at Michigan most notably. Um, kind of was on the receiving end of some really good performances against Penn State, and also on um, you know some some bad ends with Saquon Barkley having his Heisman moment against him in 2017. So um, that that's a Don Brown if, if you're a little bit more familiar now. Very aggressive defense. Um, is going to put his corners out on islands. At least that's what he did at Michigan. He's just going to try to get after you. They they did do better in the tackles for loss department, but they only had 18 sacks last year. So maybe just doesn't have the horses yet to get the pressure that he wants. But that's a Don Brown that we're referring to. I don't know if he's going to play coach defense the same way. I know he has a defensive coordinator, so he's not calling plays defensively. But I don't know if that's still the mindset. But we'll have to wait and see. Um, Sean, what what do you think of the UMass offense going into this game? Yeah. Um, so they were not very good last year, only averaged 12.5 points per game. Uh, but look, Don Brown took over the worst program in the FBS. So obviously it's going to take some time to clean that up. Uh, they have, uh, you, know, you know how I love to pronounce names, Corey, Taysen... Is it Fumachon? And that name might be familiar to some Penn State fans. I think Penn State was involved in his recruitment for a little bit. Uh, ended up going to Clemson, uh, and then bounced around at Georgia Tech, and then now he's up up, up at UMass. Um, but yeah, they're probably not going to be able to put up much, put up many points against this Penn State 
uh, front and the secondary, and they're going to probably struggle. They're going to probably struggle on this one. Um, and yeah, uh, Don Brown, uh, he was, he had some success back when they were, I believe they're at the FCS level when he, when he was the head coach, uh, of, of the Minutemen. And he's known for his aggressive style as Corey, as Corey noted. And we're probably going to see that because that's what Don Brown knows. That's what he does. And I'm, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how aggressive he is against a team like Penn State, but I think that's just what he knows. And I don't really love his style of defense. I, I never really bought it because when they would play against better talent, it typically got exposed because it's, it's just so hard to be aggressive every single play against a talented team. But if you're playing against a mediocre team or a bad team, yeah, you're going to, your defense is going to feast, but I don't really think it's the defense that you want to hang in a game with Penn state. Yeah. I think there's some, there's some proof to that. Um, Brady Olson is another quarterback that is back, but I think you said his name properly. Taysom Fomachan, whatever. You said it well. We're going you said it. that it. Um, but Olsen only only had four touchdowns and 14 interceptions. So not great there. They do bring yeah, in I don't think that's good. Wide receiver Anthony Simpson from Arizona and, and wide receiver Mark Pope from Jackson State. So they're going to bring in some guys. They do bring back four offensive linemen. Josh Atwood at center is a solid, uh, solid offensive lineman. Just, just not a lot there. I, I don't, you know, I think they're going to do better than second worst, but I'm, I'm not holding my breath offensively. Defensively, I mentioned the sacks, kind of good there. They only give up 175 yards per game through the air, so maybe there's a little bit there. But I mean, they give a lot, up a lot against the ground, so I don't even really know if it matters. If you can't stop Penn State's running game, I, I don't really think it's going to matter very much. Cornerback uh, Jordan Mahoney is one guy I wanted to mention though. 42 tackles last year, three forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, and three interceptions. So he's a guy who has a knack for the football. He, he, he just, you know, kind of like a, a Tig Brown, so to speak. Maybe is a key Wheatley, so to speak. Just always has a knack to be around the football. So one guy to pay attention to there. And I also wanted to mention uh, safety Deshaun Jerkins. Transfer from Ole Miss was actually originally at Vanderbilt. Uh, before that, didn't play very much at Ole Miss, but played a lot when he was at Vanderbilt, former three-star guy. So I actually think that guy's really going to help out the UMass defense. Um, but they did lose cornerback Josh Wallace to Michigan, which is very funny that Don Brown lost a defensive player to Michigan. Um, so that hurts him a little bit. And then Gerald Johnson, that linebacker, another guy I wanted to mention, and Marcus Brown, defensive end, another guy I wanted to mention. So they've got some good players Again, they're just not going to be able to probably muster enough on offense. And I don't know if they'll be able to stop anything in the run game. So uh, 330 kick for that one. Just just don't think it, it's going to be a fun day for Penn State. But just don't think it's going to be a – in a way, I think it honestly could get out, out of hand quicker than, say, the Delaware game just because of the way I think Don Brown could play. It could backfire on him. Um, but we'll have to wait and see there. Yeah, 
and I mean, you don't want to change your whole defense for one game, uh, but you know, I, I it probably doesn't matter what they do with Penn what they do with Penn State. They just don't have the guys. And like you said, they do have some talented players. Uh, Mahoney did stand out to me a little bit. So did Billy Wooden, um, uh, defensive tackle. Uh, but overall, probably just not going to be able to keep up with Penn State that day. So I do like, and, and Corey touched on this already. I mean, I do like having the mix for Ohio State. I can't lie. Like having that bye week then play UMass, then play Ohio State. And I believe, I'm not looking at the schedule right now, but I believe we played Northwestern before the bye week. That's a nice little stretch. You know, if anybody's banged up or um, or anything like that, it heal up in those three weeks and get ready to go play the Buckeyes. So... Uh, I just wanted to start right now, Corey. I just wanted to start right now. You're starting to get that itch a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it's officially there. Uh, next time we talk, it'll so? be two. Yeah, next time we talk, it'll be two months of the season starts. I mean, yeah, that, man, that's man. a good point. Yeah, I, I think when July hits for me, it's it's like go time for sure. Um, so, yeah. Um, I think we're good as far as the the non-conference nuggets. Uh, no promises on the YouTube videos this year. I think I'm going to get to them, but we'll have to wait and see there. Um, I might just 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 plug and chug them out here um, in a little bit. Um, but yes, they do have Northwestern at Northwestern, UMass uh, after a bye, of course, and then Ohio State and then Indiana. So really not that bad of a. Not not that bad there. Um, Sean, I just saw what you texted me. That's hilarious, by the way. Um, <laughs> are you ready for some fan questions? Yeah, let's do the fan questions. <laughs> yeah, hopefully that doesn't that doesn't hurt. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Ooh. we got a bunch of fan questions here. So we we appreciate all the fan questions. We're gonna get to all of them. Uh, but maybe a little bit quicker than than usual because we got a bunch of them. Um, I think moving forward, if we get this many, we're gonna have to just maybe start picking and choosing some because um, as much as we love you guys, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of them this week. So thank you guys for the fan questions. Um, might have to start picking and choosing, but until until then, we'll uh, we'll go through them all real quick. Um, and no order from when people ask. Cowboy ribeye. Oh, and I also asked you to please include the game you are looking forward to the most and why. So the question as well. Um, this is from Cowboy Ribeye, long-time listener to the show. Uh, will the new first down clock rule affect scoring, play calling, and point spreads? Do you see it as more of an equalizer for underdogs, more of a hindrance, or will the style of play and other factors make this impossible to predict? And then his game that he is most Looking forward to is Michigan because F them and the horse they rode in on. Um, thank you for that, Cowboy Ribeye. Uh, we already talked about this quite a bit, Sean, I feel like. Um, I think it does affect scoring, play calling, and point spreads. And I think it does help out the underdog, so to speak, if they're able to play keep away a little bit, at least in my in my opinion. So that, I think that's a pretty straightforward answer. I think we talked about it quite a bit. Anything to add to that, Sean? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it changes it quite a bit. Think about the way in the past the college game flows versus how an NFL game flows. And we're going to be getting that NFL style now at, in, in, in that part of the game. Um, I think a team that's really going to benefit from this, the first team I thought of was Michigan. Because they already do, they already did that. Even with the clock that paused when you got a first down, now they're going to be able to just keep that clock moving. And God, if, if you're down 10 going into the fourth quarter, it feels like the game's over. And when you play Michigan and yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it changes the way, the way you do everything. It could help a team like Penn state too. If our run game is what we think it'll be this year. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, we're always on the other end of it, but it'd be nice to be the team that can run out the clock and just put it, put it away. Um, Brady doesn't have a question for us, but just says, the game that he's looking forward to the most right now is Iowa, obviously for the revenge from 2021. No one argues that we would have won if Sean doesn't get hurt. Losing PJ must have first sucked as well. But I want revenge for the fans. The Iowa fans are so classless, especially when it comes to the injuries we had that game. So that's Brady's perspective there. Uh, next question from We Are PSU Lions. Does a lack of the ability to run design quarterback runs with Drew Aller limit the offense? Can't remember the last great Penn State team that didn't have a threat at quarterback with the legs. Note, Drew Aller does move well within the pocket. And does this give Perbula, Bo Perbula, quarterback Bo Perbula, more meaningful time for this running purpose? Um, basically, do you think Penn State's going to miss having the running ability of, say, Trace McSorley slash Sean Clifford? And... Does that mean Bo Perbula might play more, Sean? I don't think Bo's going to play more. And if the offensive line is what I think it could be, then no, I don't think we're going to miss. We're going to miss the quarterback being as mobile as Clifford or, uh, if you want to go back a little further, McSorley. Like last year, Cliff didn't run as much as he normally did. And there was a lot of speculation, especially early in the year, that he could be banged up. And, and who knows, maybe he was. But looking back at it, it's probably just because he didn't have to. Like, there were so many times, like all through Trace's career, he had to improvise. And there were and there were so many times during Sean's career that he had to improvise and take off because the line was breaking down. I don't, if you have a an elite offensive line, if that if the offensive line is at that level, then no, Drew really doesn't have to run that much. Now, Franklin likes a running quarterback. Franklin likes the quarterback to be able to go get a few yards, and I think Drew's going to be able to do that. But if the offensive line is what we think it could be, plus you have two of the top 10 running backs in the conference, yeah, I mean, I don't think you're going to, I don't think you'll necessarily miss having a running quarterback. Yeah, you said exactly what I was going to say. So I don't have to add anything to it. I think you're, you hit it on the head. And uh, we can move on to the next question because I agree 100% with what you said. Um, next question from Drado Bandit, longtime listener of the show. Question What game are you most nervous about outside of the obvious big two? And then hit question in the game he's most looking forward to. Uh, I'm probably most excited about Iowa. 
However, Penn State and, and Michigan managed to both be undefeated by the time they meet. Let's just say I won't be getting much sleep the night before. Um, so, again, what game are you most nervous about outside of the obvious two, Sean? Um, I guess I got to have to say Illinois at Illinois. Now that it's a noon kick, I'm not nearly as worried about it. Um, but I think I'd say at Illinois, you could just say West Virginia, maybe given that it's the first game. But I think I'd go at Illinois, I guess. I don't know. So you would you would say it's close between Illinois and West Virginia. I guess we could throw Iowa in there too, I guess, if you want. Ah. But I don't really know. <laughs> I was thinking I would have said Michigan State. I would have yeah. said Michigan State, but now, now that it's at Ford Field, I don't feel nearly as bad about that game. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the rest of the schedule, guys, I'm gonna be real, it's not it's not that hard. We play two of the top five teams in the country, so yes, that's going to be difficult. The rest of these teams really don't scare me all that much. I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch. Absolutely not. But I think it would be a pretty decent-sized upset to lose to any of these other teams. If Iowa was at Kinnick, it would scare me a lot more. If Michigan State was in East Lansing, yeah, it would scare me a lot more, even though I don't think Michigan State's going to be that much to worry about. Um... I'd probably, I'll, I'll probably go Iowa, but it's really just a process of elimination. Uh, Illinois' whole offense really was uh, built around um, their running back last year, and he's in the NFL now. So even though it's going to be a physical game because Brett Bielema was the coach, I just, I don't think they're going to have, they probably won't have enough to hang with us. And West Virginia, we just reviewed West Virginia. Uh, they don't stick here, got him either. So I'm going to go with Iowa, but it's kind of by default. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this isn't a question. This is just an answer to our question. Uh, Brian Click says the first one, West Virginia, prime time, national TV, Drew Aller's first start. A lot of questions going into the game. Good test to start the season. So thank you, Brian, for that comment. I've uh, got a question from James James McLean here, uh, which I think we've already answered today in this episode. But he said, with Benedict Ume trending towards Sanford, how does that change the scope of Penn State's targets and their class outlook for this recruiting class? He's most looking forward to Ohio State, hardest game on the schedule, and for me would be the most satisfying win. Um, Sean, I feel like we've talked about Ume quite a bit today. Um, but I think Penn State overall is going to be outside the top 10 looking in at this point. Um, you know, that could change this time, you know, the next time we speak. But as of right now, I would say that that's kind of where we're at to give a full outlook. You agree with that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think this class makes it in the top 10. I mean, last year's class. Uh, at least at this point, it's hard to say because not everybody's committed yet. I think last year's class is probably at, when both these, when this class is done, we'll probably be looking at last year's class as the superior class, and that one was in the top ten. So, yeah, I think you're going to be on the outside looking in. I also think it makes recruiting Liam Andrews and getting him here all the more important. Uh, after losing out on. Uh, Benedict Dume, uh, T.A. Cunningham, too, uh, making sure that he's in this class. So that's how I think it affects Penn State right now. 
Uh, I'm not saying it's a bad class or anything, but it's definitely you, you. It's just gonna be there. A, a, there there's a good number of guys that it feels like we're going to miss on, or we've already missed on. That you're just gonna be kind of disappointed about. Yeah, yeah. Sean's not happy this week when it comes to recruiting. Uh, I will say last year's class too had. I, mean, I don't want to knock this class too much, but I just I haven't dove deep into it yet. But I, there's a couple underrated guys for sure in that class that I felt really good about that I think we're already seeing some kind of you know some some hints and 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 kind of uh, clues that they're gonna they're gonna be good at the next level. Um, I think there's probably a couple in this class as well. Um, I just think there might not be as many of those guys like just some low four stars or, or high three stars in that class last year that we were like really excited about. But I will say this, the defensive backs keep keep coming in defensive backs last class, this class defensive backs, Terry Smith and, and point decks are done a fan chat. Fantastic job. Um, our scats with the next question here. Um, what's the word on Tyler Ellison linebacker, Tyler Ellison. Seems like I'm hearing about other linebackers, but not much on him. And then the game he's most excited for is West Virginia. And I, this is exactly how I would answer this question, by the way. West Virginia, opening night, all eyes on Beaver Stadium. Plus, I'm old, and I like when we play an old independent rival once in a while. And he sent a picture of his sticker, uh, which is now in his USW shop. So that is sweet. Um, and you can get a sticker by dropping us a five-star review. We'll send you a sticker. So uh, consider doing that on the Apple podcast, and we'll get it out to you. Um, so thank you for sending a picture of your sticker. And again, what's the word on Tyler Ellison? I haven't heard much at all, actually. And Sean, maybe you know more than I do. I know, I believe he was banged up a little bit in the spring, but I haven't heard very much lately. So I don't want to say that Kobe King kind of has the reins on the starting job, but until I hear otherwise, that's kind of how I'm going to go with it for now at the mic. Yeah, yeah. I think Corey, Corey said what I was going to say there. Um, Ellison was, Ellison was supposedly hurt during the spring, so that's probably the reason why you didn't hear much about him and look I've been the one position on defense that I'm worried about is middle linebacker because Elston just didn't show me enough to feel really confident about him and neither is Kobe King so that could change this year and I I hope it does uh, because you need you need everything to you need everything you need all your starters to be playing at a high level if you're going to compete for a playoff spot, if you're going to try to compete to win a national championship. And I think that's everybody's goal coming in here. And we all know how good Curtis Jacobs is and how good Abdul Carter is. We just need the the Mike linebacker spot to, uh, you know, to be up to snuff. And I think Tyler Ellis is one of the most important guys on the team next year. So, Yeah. Depth is, depth is just so important, right? I mean, everyone wants to talk about the stars, especially around this time, but it's the depth and having the depth because not everyone's going to stay healthy and you don't know where the injury bug is going to bite, but it's going to bite somewhere. And so you got to have depth. And we talked a lot last like September about how much depth they were building when they were playing like 70 plus guys um, in the beginning of those games. Uh, you got to build that depth. And I think they're going to do the same thing this September. And so, yeah, Tyler Ellison, a big piece to this team. Uh, final question, Maddie, I see 
Uh, been been asking a bunch of questions lately, so thank you for that. Uh, game he's most looking forward to is Iowa because it'll be his birthday. It's the whiteout, and he effing hates Iowa. So three fantastic reasons, if you ask me. And then his question, who do you think will be the best true freshman that's not Tony Rojas going into the season? I love this question, Sean. I'm very much looking forward to your answer. I'm going to go with Elliot Washington. Uh, you know, a combination of him and Cam Miller, they're probably the reasons why Storm Duck uh, came for the spring and then he flew south for the for the for the fall. He, um, the the word on Washington that has been thanks, man. The word on Washington has been that he's impressed since he got here. And I think you're going to see him a lot in the nickel. Uh, him and Daquan, a combination of him and Daquan Hardy. So, yeah, I'm very excited about Elliot Washington. I liked him as a recruit. And I think we're going to like him a lot as a player, too. You know, as far as, like, I, I took this question as, like, the biggest impact, right? Because I think, like, a Javen Williams... I think like a Joseph Mapoye, I think even a Carmelo Taylor down the road could make huge impacts. Uh, Jakari Nelson, Jamil Lyons, like there's a bunch of guys I feel really great about. Anthony Dunka, by the way, really bulking up. I didn't mention him earlier, but really bulking up and doing some good things. Um, but I think you're right with Elliot Washington um, having a big impact and, and probably the best bet besides Tony Rojas, but I also got to say, Andrew Rappelier is probably my next, and I don't know how much because of the guys he has in front of him, but the guy is six foot five, 240 coming in. So he's already only 10 pounds, 20 pounds behind Theo Johnson, and Theo Johnson's a senior or redshirt junior, or I guess true junior. Um, he's not even that far behind him. So I, 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 as, and I think at Lift for Life, they were saying like, Rappelier just looks different out there than the rest of them. That's usually a good sign, right? So I don't know how they're going to get him involved. I don't know if he blocks a punt. I don't know if he blocks a kick. I don't know what he's going to do. Just run somebody over on kickoff. But I really like, and I'm excited to see what, what Rappelier can do. Obviously, Schlaffer came early. But I think Rappelier is going to be the guy at tight end to watch. But, Sean, I don't know. I just really – and maybe it was because it was a class that we broke down so much. But I, I really, really like this 2023 class. And um, it was just – it was a really fun class for me. And there's so many guys that I feel like could do a lot of things. But I, I think Elliot Washington is a really solid pick. We already kind of saw him lay the wood on a couple guys in the blue and white game. So I, I think you stole probably the best pick. But I like Rappelier too. No, I also like Rappelier. Uh He just wasn't here in the spring, so we didn't get to see him. But lit, but I'm pretty sure Pat Fryermuth wasn't here in the spring either, his freshman year. And Pat was the best freshman tight end of my lifetime uh, at Penn State. And, you know, that play in the Ohio State game really sticks out to me. Um, and then the game ended after that play. I don't remember anything else after that play. But, yeah, Rappelier, that third tight end spot that I mentioned earlier in the pod, that's kind of up 
that's kind of, uh, you know, that could be his for the taking. Because as much as I've liked Khalil Dinkins and what he's done, uh, Rapley, I might just be able to take that spot to the next level. So if he could block, which is something that I'm interested in seeing, if he could block on this level and make plays in the passing game, and like you said, maybe even special teams, yeah, I could definitely see his redshirt getting, getting burnt at the very least. Yeah, and you know what? That's a good segue to end the show. There was a new law proposed by the NCAA committee that would allow freshmen to play in their four games as well as any postseason play. So bowl games, which would help out a lot because so many guys are not playing in bowl games. So now you don't have to worry about saving a uh, a game for the bowl season. So you can play all your freshmen during the bowl game and or playoff. And they'll still get four games during the regular season. So that would be a fantastic rule, in my opinion. It would make the game a lot safer as far as the bowl games, because some some teams get depleted depth wise. And so to have to have the all the true freshmen be able to play, I think that would be that'd be fantastic. So I'm glad you mentioned that because that could be changing here uh, moving forward. So uh, the only other rule I guess I could throw out there that I saw they might. Uh, we talked about, I think it was last week, actually, about the rule that you can actually recruit and offer more than just 25 scholarships per year. That is only supposed to go through 2024, 2025. Now they're saying, let's just make it indefinitely the new rule. So that, that's something to pay attention to as well. I think that's a fantastic rule. Penn State very well could end up with over 30 commits in this 2024 class. So um, obviously, I think they're going to get more than 25. So. Um, I think that's a good rule as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how they how they use that. Um, you know, I'm a typically a quality over quantity guy, and not just taking guys just to take guys. Uh, but if there are some guys that Franklin really sees as a diamond in the rough, I mean, I've seen what he could do with diamonds in the rough. And if he feels strongly about a guy and wants to offer them, then sure. So it just it's just gonna give every team, not just Penn State, a lot more flexibility in closing out their classes. And you could see some late guys that get offers like excuse me, I coughed. Uh I think of Journey Brown a few years back. He he was offered only about a week or two before signing day. So Franklin has a way of finding these guys late in the cycle. Uh, Torrance Brown is another guy that sticks out to me, um, you know, finding these guys and ending the class with, um, you know, maybe not fireworks, but just diamonds in the rough that end up paying the, and the, the, um, taking a flyer and a guy and those, and they end up working out for us. Yeah. And remember like a guy like offensive tackle, chimney, chimney. Ono, who. Yep blew up after his senior year of football. So like a lot of these guys still have an opportunity. You mentioned Peter Gonzalez. It's like could go out and absolutely ball out in their senior year and the offers are going to start coming in late. And I and Penn State will have the ammunition to, to, to potentially go after those guys. So um yeah, that'll be interesting to watch here. Obviously, you know, no, no real off season around here. There's there's a lot of commits happening basically the last two weeks and then we'll continue for the next two weeks or so. Um, I'm glad you guys are here and listening, and uh, we'll be back sometime next week. Have a happy 4th of July. We will not be recording. I, I know, so 
I actually asked Maddie, I was like, why did we like, why did we record an episode on the 4th of July? I guess she must have been working at something, but uh, there will be no episode on the 4th of July this year. I promise you that. <laughs> yes, we are taking the country's birthday off this year. So, um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of depressing that the 4th of July is on a Tuesday this year. I feel like it should just always be the, it should be like Martin Luther King Day, just have it. Have Independence Day as the first, the first Monday, the Monday of every July or something. But I guess that defeats the purpose of the Fourth of July. Yeah, yeah. Um, I went ahead and stuck the Monday off, so just just went ahead and did it. So yeah, if I wasn't um, in a training class, I would. Right, but anyway, uh, Sean, any final thoughts before we go? No, no. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Sean Kane, I'm Corey Slicky. You've been listening to Hardcore Fantasy Football. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.